0: Scott, um, I knew that I would not be able to do that and then preach this morning, so I appreciate you ministering to us well uh, this morning, Scott. Well, as you might imagine, in light of the news that uh, Scott just shared about my friend and my co-laborer, my mentor, uh, Clint Clifton, uh, this has been Uh, Quite the past few days, uh, really the past week uh, for me. Um, It's interesting. It's not like just like normally when news like this hits, it's not like life was going awesome and then I got this bad news. Uh, I was actually uh, in the midst of reacting to other pains and difficulties and like what just happened and sin and other things that were happening in and around me uh, on Thursday into Friday, uh, when I get the call Friday morning that uh that Clint was missing uh, last was known that he took off in his plane, and the most likely scenario was that he went down somewhere and did not make it and so we waited all of Friday um, so it was difficult it, it 's going to be difficult for uh, days and weeks and months and years for all of us who who knew Clint's. Um, but I want to be honest about what my first reaction was, honestly, for all the different things that hit me this week, the culmination of which was learning about Clint's. Uh, my first reaction is probably like a lot of your reaction when, when news hits you, and that is to keep going, to busy yourself, and to just figure out what to do to not think about it and not, uh, not pray about it and, and those types of things. I just, I tried to keep going. While there were a few things that I needed to do given my position and my relation to the news uh, there were a few things that needed to be done, but I, I, there really wasn't much that needed to be done. And my temptation was to fill things and do things and to move forward. And again, I, I have a feeling that so many of you are similar in that. What I really needed to do, though, was not to fill my day, not to create a to-do list. What I really needed to do was to relearn the biblical acts of laments biblical act of laments. And by God's grace, the ministry of brothers and sisters in Christ around me, the word of God, uh, as well, relearning lament has helped me greatly in these past 48 to 72 hours. And while I know most of you in the room have no clue who Clint Clifton is, you maybe have heard his name, you maybe have seen his picture on a slide or on a Facebook or on an email or something like that. Uh, I understand that most of you really don't know him or have a relationship. As Scott shares the news, you feel like you should be grieving with us, and I appreciate you grieving with us, but uh, I understand that most of you did not know him. You certainly did not know him like I did. Um, and so uh, it would be odd for me to like eulogize Clint Clifton right now, right? Uh, Honestly, it is a bit weird that you guys don't know him, right? As as Scott said, he was instrumental in the planting of this church 10 years ago, and most of you don't know him. Isn't it amazing what can happen with our legacy if we pour into other people? There will be people who know Jesus and gather together to worship Jesus that we've never met. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but I know most of you don't No, Clint, uh, nor are most of you part of a lot of the other things that are going on in my life right now. I do know that you have your own sorrows, your own fears, your own pains, your own interactions with evil in this life. And so this morning, our journey together is going to be this learn to lament. For God's glory and your good. Learn to lament for God's glory and your good. Uh, We are not going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. We're going to be in the book of Psalms. But before we dive into our text this morning, I understand that the word lament might not be a word that you use on a regular basis. Right? It may not be a word that you're overly familiar with. If someone were to come up to you and say, could you uh, define for me or describe to me what laments is, I think most of us would fail that test. We would fail that interview. And so let me share a few statements about laments. uh, All three of these statements are from a really helpful book on the topic of laments entitled Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Pastor Mark uh, Rogup. Uh, listen to some of these statements about laments. Number one, laments is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. That's one of the hopes that we have as Christians is that even our pain, God uses to build our trust in Him. That's what lament is, is. It's a prayer in pain that leads us somewhere. It doesn't just stay in the pain. It leads us to trust more fully in God. Another statement about lament. Lament dares to hope while life is hard. Right? That's something that Christians can do. The world really struggles to do that. But we as Christians can dare to hope even in the midst of pain. We don't have to wait till pain is over to hope in the Lord. We can hope in the Lord in the midst of, while it's still happening, pain. Another statement on laments. Laments is a prayer of faith despite your fear. Right? When life punches you in the guts, When life flips your world upside down, there are many fears that want to overtake you. And there's a temptation to put off prayers of faith because of these fears. And laments is a prayer of faith, despite, in the midst of, while it's still happening, your fear. And so let us learn to lament together. We're going to be in Psalm 13, the 13th Psalm. If you have a Bible, I highly encourage you to follow along with me in this uh, short but powerful Psalm. If you're not used to navigating your way through the Scriptures, about halfway through your Bible, maybe a little towards the beginning, uh, it should fall open to the book of Psalms. I hope if you read the Scriptures often, that your Bible falls open to the book of Psalms. It's a beautiful gift that God gives us. We're going to be in Psalm 13 this morning. To the choir master, the Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice Because I am shaken. But I have trusted. In your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice. In your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has dealt. Bountifully. With me. Let us pray together. Lord thank you for your scriptures. Lord thank you for. This psalm and all the other psalms of lament that you give to us. Lord, I pray that it would be a gift to each of us who are gathered here this morning. Lord, whatever sorrows, whatever pains, whatever bouts with evil that each of us have had this week, this year already, in a young twenty twenty-three. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to lament. Teach us to call out to you in the midst of our despair. Use me as your instruments in your most capable hands this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, what we're going to see is three movements of lament. Three movements of lament. The first one is in verses 1 and 2 verses 1 and 2 what we see here is that we are to turn to the lord and lay your complaints at his feet so when life hits you when sorrow hits you whatever it is turn to the lord turn to the lord and lay your complaints at his feet notice what he says listen to this prayer He says, how long, O Lord? How often does pain and sorrow feel like it's going to last forever? The psalmist knows that. He cries out to the Lord and he says, how long, O Lord? Also notice that he is praying to the Lord. So often when things happen in our lives, we turn to everything but the Lord, right? We turn to, I need to do this or I need to look inside myself and find the strength for this next thing. Or we start to talk to everybody else but the Lord. He cries out to the Lord in his distress. And he makes real complaints to the Lord. He feels like, the, this is David, is our psalmist. King David, he says, will you forget me forever? He says, how long will you hide your face from me? You see, so often and what's happening in David's life and what happens so often in our life is when things happen in our lives, it feels like God has left us. It feels like God is now far off all of a sudden. God has not moved in proximity to us, but it feels like he is far off. And so the psalmist is crying out in this poem to the Lord. says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? So often, sorrow feels lonely, does it not? You feel like I'm just stuck here with myself, is what the psalmist is saying. I'm I'm taking counsel in my own soul. He's asking, How long must I do that? He also, David, had very real enemies. He's asking, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Again, when we're faced with evil, when bad things happen around us, we feel like the enemy, whether it's human beings that are against us or whether it's Satan who we feel like is against us or is against us, we're like, man, is he? How long is he going to be exalted? It feels like he's winning. How long is that going to happen? So I encourage you to ask yourself, to think on this: What has hit you this week? What has hit you in the young year of 2023 already? What is uh, perhaps you have a lifelong? Struggle or bouts or difficulty that you've been struggling with for years, maybe decades. What is that for you? And I ask you, have you turned to the Lord in that distress? Have you called out to the Lord? Have you prayed to the Lord about that particular thing? You may say, well, I've prayed about everything else, I've prayed to get out of the thing, I've I've prayed lots of things kind of around it, but have you called out to the Lord about that thing? Have you used words and sentences to talk about it with the Lord, to call out to Him in your distress? And have you laid your complaints at His feet? Does it feel weird to say, to complain to the Lord? To tell the Lord your complaints. It may feel weird to to think that. It may feel weird initially. But do you think God knows your complaint before you pray it? Absolutely. Do you think He knows your complaints and how you're going to articulate it even before you're able to put words to it? Absolutely He does. Turn to the Lord. Lay your complaints at His feet. You don't need to go everywhere else. You don't need to tell everybody else all the things. Eventually, you'll need to bring in some brothers and sisters in Christ. But first and foremost, lay your complaints at the feet of Jesus. It's the first movement to turn to the Lord, call out to the Lord, and lay your complaints at his feet. We must not stop here, though. David, our psalmist, continues the second movement for laments. After we have turned to the Lord, cried out to the Lord, and we lay our complaint at the feet of the Lord, the second movement in verses 3 and 4 is that we would plea for restoration, for God's glory and your good. Plea for restoration, for God's glory and your good good. David makes a request to the Lord. Verse 3, he says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes. That's his request of God. Really, the, the big request of this psalm is that God would light up his eyes, and then he gives to so that's or lest this other horrible thing happen. So Lord, light up my eyes so that these two other things don't happen. Light up my eyes so that I don't sleep the sleep of death. You see, when when trouble surrounds us, we we get in this mental spiral that goes down and down and down that we never feel like we're going to get out of. I hope, I know I picked a short lament. There are many laments in the Psalms. Almost all of them are longer than this one. I picked a short one on purpose, but even as I read, did you feel like David could have gone on with the questions in verse one and two forever? Do you ever feel like you could go on with the complaints forever? Do you feel like if you went on with the complaint forever, that it would just go into this downward spiral that you would never get out of? David says, light up my eyes so that doesn't happen. That's his request of the Lord. The second reason for his request to light up his eyes, to pull him out of this proverbial nosedive, is so that his enemy does not say that they've prevailed over him and his foes, his enemies, do not rejoice because he, David, has been shaken. <clears throat> you see, the enemies of David in this moment are most likely also the enemies of the Lord. David as the, king of, as David as the chosen king of Israel, who are the chosen people of God, the enemies of David are the enemies of God. And so David is making a plea here, though it may sound a bit selfish, it is also for the fame of the Lord, that the enemies of the Lord and the enemies of his people not believe that they have won in the end, and that they would not say, see, we've shaken the king of the people of God. The passage we are supposed to be in this morning in Hebrews is at the end of Hebrews chapter 12. And the author of Hebrews is encouraging the Hebrew Christians to realize that they are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that the things of this life do not ultimately shake us out of our faith. In almighty, sovereign, all loving God. That's the prayer of David. Lift up my eyes so that my enemies, my foes, would not rejoice because God's servant has been shaken. This is why we need lament. We've got to get out of this moment where we're shaken. Sure, we're going to be shaken temporarily. Sure, there's going to be moments and seasons, potentially days, where where we are just on our knees doing the first movement, crying out to God and laying our complaint at His feet. But we have to move past that. And we have to make our petition, make our plea to God. And our plea to God must be for restoration. God, don't leave me here. Here's my complaint, but don't leave me here. Light up my eyes. Get me out of this downward spiral. Get me out of this place where the enemies of God are thinking they have won. So we must call out to the Lord. When you turn to the Lord in your distress, plead with the Lord to restore you. Plead to the Lord to restore you for His glory and your good. Did you know that if you are a Christian... If you are in Christ, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, the glory of God and your good are inseparable things. So if you work towards the glory of God and making much of God, it will be for your good. And anything good that you involve yourself in will result in the glory of God. They are inseparable So when you call out to God for your restoration, do not call out to God saying, God, people need to see how awesome I am. People need to see how strong I am. People need to see that I've got things all together. No, no, no. We need to do so for the glory of God, for his fame. And it will also lead to our good. Plea for restoration, for God's glory and your good. The third movement in verse 5. The third movement in verse 5. Find restoration in the Lord. Find restoration in the Lord. Read with me verse 5. David says, but I have trusted in what? I have trusted in your steadfast love. <clears throat> My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Where do we ultimately find our restoration? It is in the character of God. In the character of God. It is in his steadfast love. David has trusted in the steadfast love of the Lord. He has not trusted in getting out of the circumstance. He has not trusted in, waiting till his fears go away. He has not trusted in himself to pull himself up by his own bootstraps and and make things happen. He has placed his trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. David's pattern is the pattern that you and I are to follow as well. The firm foundation for trust and for restoration is only found in the steadfast love of the Lord. So, in what you're struggling with, in your trials and your difficulties and your suffering, have you sought restoration in the steadfast love of the Lord? You see, throughout the scriptures, specifically throughout the Old Testament, when God is describing his character to his people, he uses this idea of his steadfast love, and often it's it's in a little bit longer list. It starts in the book of Exodus, it's repeated in several psalms, it's in the book of Jonah, it's in several of the prophets. The Lord describes himself as a Lord who is good and gracious, he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love. I love that phrase, abounding in steadfast love. Like, the Lord is never going to run out of steadfast love. I run out of steadfast love every single day with the people in my life. There's at some point, like, I am struggling to love you right now even awesome, godly, amazing people that God's put in my life, there are times that I'm like, I just don't have any love for you right now. Even Clint Clifton, who I love dearly, there were many days I disagreed with him wholeheartedly, and I just didn't have any love for him in the moment. My my love runs out all the time. But God's abounding In steadfast love. He never runs out of steadfast love. He is good. And he is gracious. He is slow to anger. And he is abounding. In steadfast love. Seek restoration on the basis. Of the character of God. Namely his steadfast love. Here we almost. Almost. Have the conclusion of our song. To see God's help in our time of need by learning laments. Right? We've seen these movements that we're to turn to the Lord and lay our complaint at his feet. We've seen that we can't just stay there and complaining and murmuring and grumbling. We got to move through that as well. And we need to plead to God for restoration that would result in his glory and our good. We got to move past that. We need to realize that restoration is going to be found not in anything we bring to the equation, but only in the steadfast love and the character of God himself. We're almost to the ends of laments. But before we conclude this psalm, I want to speak to the Christian. Uh, Those who have placed their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to speak to you. And I want to speak to the non-Christian. The person who is yet to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Who is yet to call out to God for salvation. I'll speak first to the Christian. I want you to see God's good purposes in your pain. There's some really bad theology out there right now. One of them is the health, wealth, prosperity, so-called fake gospel. And what they will tell you is that if you have faith in God, in this life right now, all God is going to bring your way is health, wealth, Prosperity in this life. They read some passages that are talking about the life to come. And they grab them. And they try to bring them into today. And it's a lie. There is other theology that you may wander on. It calls itself Christian. And so we as Christians need wisdom to discern these things. That's why I'm talking to you about them. There's other theology that says God has nothing to do with these bad things that happen. God would never allow these bad things to happen. God would certainly never bring them and actively bring them into our lives. God has nothing to do with those things. That's also a lie. God is actually doing something in our pain. God is doing something in our suffering. What we see in our passage here is that he is bringing about a greater trust, a renewed trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. This was Satan's complaint against Job, was it not? His accusation against Job. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to go read the first two chapters of Job sometime this afternoon. Satan goes before the Lord and the Lord God says to Satan... Have you considered my servant Job? Look how faithful Job is. And Satan says, that's because everything's going good for Job. If you let me touch Job and touch the things around Job, he's going to curse you. And God says, okay. You can bring all kinds of calamity into Job's life. And Job has what I would argue is the worst day in the history of mankind. He loses everything. And literally, messenger comes, gives bad news. Right as that messenger stops speaking, another messenger comes. So first messenger comes, everything you own, all your livestock, all your animal, everything, everything you own, gone. As he's speaking, next person comes. All your children are dead. And so he just keeps getting this news. And Job says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is doing something, Christian, in your pain. I want you to turn over with me to Psalm 23, it should be just a few pages to the right. Psalm 23, another Psalm of David. Probably the most known psalm from beginning to end. There may be other specific verses that are more known, but uh, as soon as I open to it, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Perhaps it's familiar to you. You've seen it on a mug, perhaps, or a t-shirt or a wall hanging or something like that. I want you to notice verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. The psalmist, David, is in the valley of the shadow of death. And he doesn't fear any evil. Why? Because God's with him. Notice again verse 5. You, Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want you to picture that for a moment. That's what poetry is trying to do. It's trying to give us some pictures to put in our minds to realize truths. Right? It doesn't just list truths. That's not poetry. Poetry gives us pictures to bring truths into our lives. So I want you to picture that. Picture a battlefield. Picture enemies all around you. Perhaps you've been cut off from those that you're supposed to be with, and there's just enemies all around you, and you're on a battlefield. And the Lord shows up. And he prepares a table for you. And he sits down. And he says, Come and dine with me. He, does, he doesn't say, Hey, let's get out of this battle. He, he sets a table before the presence of the enemies. Beautiful picture. God is doing something in your suffering. That is to the Christian. I want to speak to the non-Christian for a moment. <clears throat> you may have told yourself that you're not religious. You may have said, this is pretty interesting. Uh, I, I've got other ways to get through suffering and difficult things that happen in life. I've figured out. I've got some teachers I look to. I've got some techniques I have. I'm not really religious. I can tell you that most likely you are following the religion of the world that is called escapism. When bad things happen, you just find a way to get away from it as quickly as possible. You just escape. And honestly, a lot of counselors these days, secular counselors, will help you do so. And certainly a lot of informal counselors, a.k.a. your friends, will help you To escape from things. And they'll tell you that that's what you need to do. You may say, Man, things are really difficult at work. My boss, I think, doesn't like me. My coworkers are really mean to me. And the work is really hard, and I have to wake up early and everything else. And so these counselors will come to you and say, Well, you need to quit and find a different job. You may say, yeah, man, I did that and I got a new job and everything's awesome because everything's awesome the first five minutes, right? And so everything's awesome, but man, I got this other problem. My my wife is just horrible to live with. My marriage is difficult. You say, okay, there's an out for that as well. It's called divorce. Get you get a divorce. Go get you a new younger version. Just escape. My kids are difficult. Ah. I know the problem. They're in the wrong school. You're in the wrong neighborhood. You need to move. That, that team is no good. The coach is horrible. The coach is an idiot. We need to get them out of there. Switch the, switch the circumstances. And again, it's always good for five minutes at a time. But it's never lasting. You're just escaping reality. This will never lead you to pure, true Lasting joy. The reality is. Is that you are drowning. You are drowning in a sea. That will end. In your destruction. In eternal death. Eternal separation from God. From all his people. And from everything good that has ever happened. And yet God is. Calling out to you. God God is. Showing you that he is able to. To save you. And the requirement for you is to call out to Him and be saved. The good news for you this morning is despite all that you've tried to do to escape the difficulties of this life, all that you have tried to do to escape all the circumstances of your life that are inconvenient or uncomfortable, all you need to do is call out to the Lord with a pure heart. And plead with him to save you. You can actually do that right where you are. You can call out to the Lord. And say Lord. I don't really know all of how this works. But I need you to save me. I've been trying to do everything on my own. And I need you to save me. You actually don't need me to do that with you. I can't save you. You don't need anybody sitting around you to do that. They can't save you. Only God himself can save you. Now if you do that and that's you. I would plead with you to come tell me if a member of this church brought you, tell them what's going on in your life. There's a lot more that we want to explain to you. There's a lot more beauty and truth in these scriptures that we want to show you. We don't just want to leave you to figure it out on your own. So we would ask that you would talk to us about it. If you have questions, we'd love to talk to you about it. You don't need us to show you those things. You need the Lord. You need to Call out to him and be saved. But we would love to speak with you about it. Before closing our time together, we need to turn back to our psalm, Psalm 13. Psalm 13. I love where this psalm of lament ends. Lots of them actually end this way. There's, uh, by the way, there's about 40 Psalms of laments out of the 150 psalms. There's also a whole book called Lamentations in the Bible. So there's lots of laments in the Bible. This isn't like Brian found some obscure verse, right? This is is not that at all. It's all over the Scriptures. It's not all over our culture, but it is all over the Scriptures. I love where this one ends. We started in despair in verse 1 and verse 2. Things are maybe starting to turn in verse 3. But by the time we get to verse 6, just six verses later, that's it, short, very short psalm. Notice how David concludes. He says, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. So the conclusion of all of this is to sing to the Lord. A little over 10 years ago, a few months before this church was about to begin in my living room, uh, I was talking to Pastor Clint Clifton. He was mentoring me through the church planting process, all the questions that Scott is bombarding me with me right now. I how do I get an employee identification number? And how do I get 501c3? And oh, by the way, how do I structure an order of worship? And oh, by the way, like all those questions, I was asking those of Clint. And also, as I have questions with Scott and Mike and, and Joshua down in Topsail, Clint had questions for me. Clint said, hey, hey Brian, I haven't heard you talk about this. Who, who's going to lead worship? Who's going to lead the singing in this new church plant? Honestly, I don't remember how I answered. I think I probably tried to change the subject if just knowing myself, I just probably tried to talk about something else because the reality was I didn't care. I didn't have a plan and I didn't care. And Clint, as clear as day, looked at me and he said, Ryan, you believe that you can have a faithful church gathering without leading the church to sing to the Lord, don't you? Again, I don't think I answered. Clint said to me as clear as day, Brian, I'm going to pray for God to change your heart on this topic of singing to him. By God's grace, God has been doing just that for the past 10 years. I am keenly aware that I'm not the best musician or singer in the world. Probably not even in this room. But the Lord has commanded us somewhere around 500 times in his scriptures to sing to him. And here in this psalm, it's to sing to him even in our pain, even in our suffering. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing together. I love you guys. Let's pray.